I'm excited to get to share with you this morning about Easter, about what we celebrate. What we're going to be looking at eventually is found in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to go ahead and read one of the stories from the Gospel of John. I'm going to read about 12 verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the tomb already, the stone already moved away. And so she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. And they came to the tomb, Peter first. And stopping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings. They were lying there. But he didn't go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him, and he entered the tomb immediately. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place all by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered also, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, She stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Easter. The title of my message this morning is Good News from the Tomb, which would seem like a strange place for there to be good news. But that's the reality of Easter. What took place in this primitive cemetery so many years ago. I want to share something before I get back to the story. I'm going to share something that you probably didn't know about me and my family. And it's not going to be that personal. My family doesn't need to worry. But what you probably didn't know about our family is for over a decade, we mowed the grass at Lakeside Cemetery here in Ballatin. It's a beautiful cemetery located on the northwest corner of Lake Yankton. And we would mow it. Many times we'd mow it. And I would often, as I'm mowing, 
pay attention to the markers as I would be driving by the different markers. You'd see things on the markers, obviously, like their names. You'd see the date of birth. You'd see that dash that we often talk about. And you'd see the date of death. On some, you'd see other inscriptions like beloved mother or beloved father. Some, I saw words like a child too quickly gone. On some, you would see more personal inscriptions that only the family members would probably understand. I remember there was one inscription that I saw for a long time, and I had no idea what it meant. It simply said on the back of the marker, on the back of the tombstone, the word more, M-O-R-E. Then one day I ran into a family member and I asked, what does that mean? And it meant something to the family. What it meant to the family was the father would always say that word, more. And it was his way of saying, I love you more. Sometimes we'd see inscriptions that would be scriptures. Scriptures such as, I am the resurrection and the life. Sometimes I'd see markers for a family. There's one in particular that I thought about almost every time I mowed that cemetery. The last name was Grouch, G-R-O-U-C-H. And the tombstones are from 1880, a long time ago. But what always struck me was the mother's marker was there, but it was about 30, 35 years after the three markers next to it. A father and two sons, six years old and nine years old, all died in 1880. My imagination would try to think about what that must have been like. How did they die? How did all three die in that one year? Was it an accident back in 1880? Or was it some type of plague that came through and all three perished? And I would wonder how. How do they get by? How does, how does the mother endure such loss? Did she know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior? Did she know about and believe about a resurrection that would be taking place sometime when their family would be reunited with resurrected bodies? You know, when you get into the cemetery, death looks real final. It looks like it's the end of everything. How do they handle those that survive as they stand by that grave? How do they deal with the grief? You know, at times, even as I would be driving back and forth in this large cemetery, questions would come to your mind about my own faith. When I look at these tombstones, I believe in a resurrection. I know I'm not supposed to think that way, but I did. Even though I knew what I really believed. But it's hard not to question at times like that. In the cemetery, it was quiet. It was peaceful. It was a beautiful place. A place to just think and, and to pray. Probably not an, a lot unlike a cemetery. There was a garden cemetery outside the city of Jerusalem. Had a little collection of tombs in this cemetery that were dug out of solid rock. That cemetery, that little cemetery, on a late Friday afternoon, 
many, many years ago, the body of Jesus was placed in a tomb. Talked a lot about that Friday in our Good Friday service. But I want to talk just a little bit about the very end of it when Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Everything was kind of hurried because according to the Jewish law and the Jewish traditions, they needed to have Jesus' body taken care of before sundown because the Sabbath began at sundown. Joseph himself was a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was a follower of Jesus, kind of a secret follower of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about this as they tell their story about that fateful Friday afternoon. Joseph went to Pilate and he asked Pilate for the body. And Pilate's first reaction was almost one of surprise because it had only been six hours since Jesus was nailed to a cross. It wasn't uncommon for people who were crucified to survive for many days on that cross, suffering for a number of days. Oftentimes they would come just to speed their death along and break their legs so they couldn't support themselves, making it nearly impossible to breathe. But it had only been six hours. And they hadn't broken the legs of Jesus. No bone in his body was broken, fulfilling prophetic words. They got the body of Jesus and took him off of that cross. And they took him to this garden. They took the body marked with all the marks of what had taken place that, that day. His beaten, damaged body. Joseph had some help. A man named Nicodemus, who was also a secret follower of Jesus. He was a Pharisee. And they took Jesus' body, took it to the tomb that they borrowed. A borrowed tomb for Jesus. And it talks about wrapping him in linen cloths. And one of the stories talks about somewhere between 75 and 100 pounds of spices being wrapped with the linen. Kind of part of the Jewish way of embalming and preparing a body. They would wrap them in linen and some of the spices would be ground into a powder and some of it would be in the form of a gummy substance holding these things together. Whatever they did for Jesus, they had to do quickly because the sun was setting and the Sabbath was coming. And as they get Jesus' body in the tomb, they leave the tomb and they roll a huge stone in front of the tomb's door. And they leave. And then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, as she's described often in this story, they also left. They left the tomb and the tomb would have been silent. And the Sabbath comes. Saturday. What took place on that Saturday? We know very little because the Bible doesn't tell us very much about that Saturday. We can assume a few things. Our imaginations can 
run wild. But I think it would be safe to think about the disciples and the followers of Jesus, especially the apostles and the women that had been with him for so long. It's hard to imagine what was going through their minds that Saturday that the Bible is so silent about. The grief that they would be experiencing, the loss, probably many, many questions talking about how they thought Jesus was the Messiah, but now he's gone. This man that they had followed for nearly three years, really given their lives to, he was gone. And gone in such a horrible way that it probably instilled fear in all of their hearts as followers of Jesus. Would they crucify them too? Whatever took place, we're not certain of. About the only thing we write, read in the Scriptures about that Saturday is the, 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 that Luke writes these simple words. On the Sabbath, they rested. I don't think it was a very peaceful rest. But then came Sunday morning. And the Sabbath ends at dawn on that first day of the week. And oh my, what a surprise. It was about be revealed. The Bible's very clear about Sunday, the first day of the week. Matthew opens up and says, late on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, the sun was barely starting to come up over the horizon. Mark says, very early on the first day of the week. Luke says, on the first day of the week, in early dawn. And John says, now on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. The women were coming to the tomb to help prepare the body. Whatever had been taken place, whatever had taken place the afternoon of Friday was hurried and rushed. And it seems they were going to bring in more spices and, and take care of the body in a better way. Almost forgetting that there was this huge rock this huge stone in front of the tomb. They absolutely were not expecting a resurrection. They did not understand what Jesus had been teaching about. When they got to the tomb and the tomb was empty, they had no idea what had really taken place. A resurrection was the farthest thing from their minds. But to their shock and their surprise and even to their confusion, when they got to the tomb, the seal was broken. The stone was rolled away. The guards, the Roman guards were gone. And the tomb was empty. What had happened? No one knew for sure. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, we have an angel that tells us these words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. The most important and most significant thing here isn't that the tomb was empty because it could have became empty many different ways even though we know it wasn't. But the reality is that the significant truth here is He has risen from the dead. That's why the tomb was empty. 
But even the words of the angel saying these things to Mary, she still didn't really get it. She still really didn't believe. Because we see it's after the angel speaks to her that she has this encounter with who it turns out to be Jesus who she thought it was a gardener. And she's still asking, where did you take the body? Where? Then Mary ran and and she found Peter and John and told them what had happened and what the angels had said and, and that's when they took off running to the tomb. Hard for any of them to believe and And really, think about it for a moment. What had taken place on Friday would almost make it impossible for you to believe. Your emotions would still be raw from the horrors that you witnessed, the things that had happened to Jesus. When Peter got to the tomb, John beat him there. But Peter, as Peter would do, he went right past John and blew right into the tomb. And what did he discover? The tomb was really empty. The tomb was really empty. When you look at that statement, it is so simple. And it is so clear. The tomb was really empty. The question was, how? Why was the tomb empty? What had taken place? But, The significant thing is, it was empty. And we get many eyewitnesses to this reality that the tomb was empty. When the women got there, the tomb was empty. When Peter and John got there, the tomb was empty. When the Romans investigated, the tomb was empty. When the Jewish leaders investigated and checked it out, the tomb was empty. The reason I stress the obvious, the reason I point this out, is because critics of the Christian faith have never answered successfully what happened to the body. What happened to the body of Jesus? The tomb was empty. The critics of the Christian faith can argue many points, We can get into all kinds of theological discussions. But the bottom line was the tomb was empty and no one has explained that. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, why was the tomb empty? You know, one of the theories that's out there is that he went into some kind of swoon, they call it. The agony of the cross was so much to bear that he appeared as he was dead. There's so many holes in that theory. But just think about it. If that was the case, and he came to in the tomb like they say in that theory, how did he move the rock, the stone? One man could never have moved that stone, especially from the inside, because there would have been nothing to grab a hold of to move it. No one has explained it. Neither the Roman or Jewish leaders would have had any reason to remove the body. And if they had somehow done that, they would have absolutely 
revealed the body to stop the story that Jesus was alive. So it wasn't the Romans, it wasn't the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. The disciples had no reason to take the body, even though that was one of the stories that the religious leaders tried to, to spread. The disciples didn't even know what had happened. They didn't understand yet about the resurrection, even though Jesus had told them so clearly. They didn't know that there was supposed to be this resurrection at that time. And the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb were under threat of death if anyone would come and break the seal of that tomb. No grave robbers could have got anywhere close to that tomb. So what happened to the body? Jesus was in that tomb on Friday night. They rolled a stone in front of it and on Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. It's gone. What did Peter see when he came to the tomb? In John chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, it tells us this. Simon Peter, who was behind John, he lost the race, arrived and went into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. The tomb was empty. And then some amazing things began to happen. Mary met Jesus. He was alive from the dead. Peter and John met Jesus, and he was alive from the dead. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus met Jesus, and he was alive from the dead. Thomas met Jesus. He was alive from the dead. And over 500 people met him at one time. And he was alive from the dead. And the message began to spread throughout Judea that Jesus was alive. There's an ancient legend that I want to share with you. And this legend says that in an early church, in the early church, there was a believer who was to be martyred for his faith. As they tied his hands and led him to the stake, he was asked if he had any last words. And he shouted, He is risen! Unknown to the authorities who were martyring this person, this believer, in the hills surrounding the area, the Christians had gathered together to watch the execution. And when they heard the words, He is risen! From the mountains, they shouted out in unison, He is risen indeed. And this became the mantra when Christians would greet one another. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You may have heard it in the liturgy of many churches. When you respond, as the pastor would say, He is risen. And the congregation would respond, He is risen indeed. The good news of Easter is that Jesus has risen from the dead, and He is alive. He is alive. You know, when I think back, way back to my times mowing in that cemetery I talked about, I realize 
why I believe in the resurrection. I'm reminded of why I believe in the resurrection. And the reality of why I believe is because of what I shared with us this morning. Jesus is alive. The tomb was empty. There is no other explanation. Jesus has risen from the dead. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this to the church and he writes it to us. About this reality that we have a living Savior and that there is a resurrection for all who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and will spend eternity in the presence of God. He writes in verse 13, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Brothers and sisters, we are not to grieve like people who have no hope. We are not to believe like those that have rejected Christ. We are to believe in a different way. Yes, we will grieve, but we have hope. We have hope. A certain hope. This is what Paul's encouraging us. And he goes on in verse 14. For since we believe, this is why our grieving is different. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. That's why we can grieve differently than the world. We have a certain hope and a faith and confidence that we too one day will be raised from that grave. As I would drive in that cemetery, I would try to imagine what that might look like when the dead in Christ arise and receive that glorified body. That's the good news from the tomb today. The good news that the tomb is empty. The good news that the reason it's empty is Jesus has risen from the dead. Good news that the devil couldn't hold Him. Good news that death has lost its sting. Good news that the grave has lost its victory. Good news that we need not fear death anymore. As far as I know my own heart, I'm not afraid of dying. Because I know what's on the other side. We do not have to be fearful. Death does not win. Death doesn't win. I preached a sermon one time at a funeral for a young relative of mine. He had died way too young. And the title of my sermon is Death Didn't Win. In the midst of such grief, there was an amazing sense of hope because I knew my young relative had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So to my heart, death didn't win. Death does not have the last word. And that's true for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. The grave for me and the grave for us who believe really is just a temporary residence. 
we aren't going to live there forever. As a matter of fact, that might be a great inscription to put on my grave. The temporary home of Mike Nelson. We're going to be resurrected. The tomb is a strange place for good news. But that's what Easter's all about. If you were looking for Jesus this morning, He isn't in a tomb and He isn't in a grave. You can meet Him right now. God loved you and me so much that He sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, to die on that cross for you and for me. He was buried in Joseph's tomb, but He rose from the dead on Easter morning. He paid for our sins. He took the Father's wrath on Himself. He paid for our sins. And if you believe in Him, you will never perish and you will have everlasting life in the presence of God. You will have eternal life. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. You can know your sins are forgiven. The living Lord, Jesus, would love for you to meet Him today. If you've not met Him before in a very personal way, He would love for today to be that day. Will you give your hearts to Jesus? Will you surrender your life to our Lord and Savior? Will you come to Him? I pray that you will because this could be the happiest Easter of your entire life. The next move is up to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus died, but that he lives again. May the living Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, may he be born anew in each and every heart that's hearing these words this morning. Father, I pray that you would let the faith arise in each one to say yes to the invitation to meet Jesus personally. Father, for those that wrestle with this in their heart, I pray you would help them to believe. God, I am so thankful that we do not serve a dead Jesus. We do not worship a dead Lord. That because of Easter, we serve the living God. May all glory and honor be His forever. Amen.